Hey everybody, welcome to Pedestal. I am just so eager to get into today's message because it is one that means a lot to me. And really what we're talking about is how God is unfair. You may have lived your life and be in a moment right now where you're like, life is just not fair. God is not fair. And I would absolutely agree with you on that. So I'm excited to see what the Spirit has for us today. So to those of you who are new to Pedestal, welcome. Super glad to have you. Um, Pedestal is a community of people who understand that though each human is a beautifully crafted piece of art, we are not the greatest artwork in the museum. In fact, our cracks and fractures are not even worthy of display, yet we are still valuable. Our value, however, is found in elevating the perfect artwork in order to glorify the master artist, our creator. And so we serve our lives as the pedestal, elevating Jesus Christ. So welcome. Well, let's just get on into it then. All right, so I've heard so many people on Facebook um, throughout mentoring people, just in life in general, talk about how they have drawn the short end of the stick, that they have a life that is so unfair that God has not been fair to them and their life so much harder than everybody else's. And we just complain about that. But what does that mean? What are we actually saying when we're saying that God's not fair? And if you're looking at the exact definition, okay, like Mer- uh, Merriam-Webster definition of fair is in accordance with the rules or standards or legitimate. Now, if we're talking about that, there's no way that you can say that God is not fair. He's in, co- he's in accordance with the rules and standards. He sets the standards. He sets the rules. And so he can't be out of his own rules. He can't not be fair. So we're not talking about the actual definition of fair here. What we're talking about is what people mean when they say that God is being unfair. And typically what we mean when we say life's not fair or God's not fair, it's that we don't have the exact same opportunities as somebody else, or we don't have the exact same experience as somebody else, or we don't have the exact same lifestyle as somebody else. And in that case, you're absolutely right. But it it even goes further than that, I think, in, in the fact of we don't get what we deserve. See, I think people often put fairness in that definition that I didn't get what I deserved. We hear that a lot. And typically what people mean is I worked my tail off. I worked my butt off. I worked hard, stayed up late, worked extra hours. I've been a good person, quote unquote, good person. I've been nice to people I've given. I've raised kids. And look at me. I'm still in the same situation. I didn't get what I deserved. Now, if you're looking at it through that lens, let's see what that actually means and see if you still say, I didn't get what I deserved in a negative way. Or maybe we can flip it to a positive way. So, I didn't get what I deserve. So what do we actually deserve, right? Now, because we do a couple good deeds, because we give a little bit here and there, because we go out of our way and sacrifice our time and our life a little bit here and there, it's that karma mentality, right? As long as I do more good than bad, then I should be set up 
for success. I should be set up for an eternity with the Lord. I hear that question all the time. Well, why would God not allow good people to go to heaven? And I will tell you that God always allows good people to go to heaven. That good people, 100% of the time, will go to heaven. However, there's only one of them. God's 100%. One for one is 100%, right? There was one good person, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who did all good. So what is good, right? Is good just doing more good than bad? I wouldn't call that a good person, right? A good person would be somebody who embodies good, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus was perfect. He lived a life that was that had no flaws. Even the people who were accusing him, Pilate asked, what has this man done? And the only thing that they could bring up, Scripture says that they told lies where their stories weren't lining up. So they tried to throw some things on him, but their stories weren't even lining up. Each individual testimony was not lining up when they were trying to lie. And so we can't take any of those as truth. The only thing that they got him for, right, or that they felt that they got him for was for blasphemy, for for saying that he's God when he's not. But if he was actually God, then that's not blasphemous, right? And and so what we see throughout this story, when Jesus dies and resurrects and proves that he is God, then we find that statement of him being God or, or that lifestyle of him being God and all those uh, allu- alluding to him being God we see that as being true. And so that even the one thing that they tried to pin on him did not stick. And so the one who was good, the one who was flawless is in heaven. He's God. So what about these other people that we say, oh man, they're a pretty good person or they're, they're a really good person. We're, we're making our own standards for that, right? Based on the average person, they are better than the average, right? They're quote unquote better than the average. They're nicer than the average. They do more good things than the average. Okay, but why why is our standard, why is average human, why does that the standard for what good is? And it's not is the answer, right? God created the standard. In the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, we see the standard as the Ten Commandments. And if you just look at the first thing, do not put any other God's before me. We do that all the time. Every single person listening to this podcast can say that they have put themselves before God at some point in their life, right? And once you do that, you have made yourself the God. You have made your desires the God, that God was not the God at that moment. And so you put yourself before God. We do it all the time with a million other things, with cell phones, with friends, with relationships, with our jobs, with our aspirations and our dreams. We'll put those things in front of God all the time. But I just want to set the standard here of every single person that has at one point in life put themselves before they put God on on their list of priorities of, of people to please, right? And so if God is all that is good, if he is the embodiment of good and perfection, then when you put something in front of him 
and and are being disobedient to what he's asked and put no other gods before me, what you're doing there is going against what is good. And so you are not being good. You are being evil. Well, what scripture tells us is once you are, you have done an evil act of any sort, then you have become evil. And immediately that's what we do. I mean, as children, you never have to teach a child to disobey. You only teach them to obey. It's natural for them to disobey. So from our infancy, we are being disobedient. We are doing evil because that's what we are. We, are, we have a sin nature that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Now, how is that? Adam and Eve, are they were created and they were in perfect relationship with the Lord. And we see that they defied the Lord when he said, you can eat of any tree, but do not eat of this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know the story that they went on and ate of it anyways. Well, what happens is when they become defiant, they become evil. Because if I have a spotless car, but get a little bit of mud on it, my car is no longer spotless, right? Like it is now a dirty car. You may say, well, it's cleaner than others. But regardless, if we're talking about what the standard is, I'm looking for a spotless car. That is no longer a spotless car, right? It is now a dirty car. And so we now have a dirty spot. Our, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, had a dirty spot. Now what happens when two imperfect people create something? Well, that, that's something that they create. If, if, I, if I am an imperfect person, I can no longer create something that's perfect. That's the, that's the curse of it all. Two imperfect people cannot possibly create something that's perfect, a, a perfect human. I mean, that's basic genetics. If I have two Yorkshire Terriers, I say that because my parents have a Yorkie that lives with us here, but if I take two Yorkies that are crossbred Yorkies, there's no way that I could ever breed them and make a perfect Yorkie. There would always be some imperfections or some differences between that and the standard of a pure breed. It's like in Isaiah 64, 6, it tells us all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So what scripture is telling us here is that any righteous act or any good thing that we do is like a filthy rag, right? Because if we are like before mentioned, if we are dirty people, if we are imperfect people, then anything that we do that is good, any scrubbing that I try to do with a filthy rag is not going to clean anything. I am impure. I am now a dirty rag. And, and, and so no matter how hard I scrub with that dirty rag on a dirty window, I'm never going to actually clean that window. Really, all I'm going to do is smear it. Right? And, and feel like I'm working hard and maybe feel good about myself because I'm trying, but it's not really accomplishing anything. And so that lineage goes down. And so I say all that to say we are sinful people. We are not good people because good, the standard of good is perfect. And we make those like they're two different definitions, but God makes the definition. God is good 
and he's perfect. So it's based on God's standard, not our standard. And so we are not good people. I want to start there. So when people say, God is not good to me, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm a good person, God's not being fair, what are you really saying? Do you deserve a perfect life? Do you deserve all the blessings? You're not good. And, and, and Scripture tells us that if God is perfect and we are imperfect, God cannot be with us. Because in order to keep His, His self pure and clean, He has to then separate from the impure and unclean. Right? He's, he's pure and perfect and clean. So God cannot be connected with something that is impure and unclean. Or that changes His purity. Because if I have something that's muddy and try to connect it to something that's clean, the thing that's clean, the thing that's muddy does not become clean. The thing that is clean becomes muddy, right? That's how that works. That's why we we take a clean rag and try to clean something dirty off, right? But that that clean rag then becomes dirty. It takes on the dirtiness. So God can't be united with us. When we've sinned and we're born into sin. Again, like I said, we're defiant from birth. So God can't be united with us. He he automatically has to separate us. So from our birth, we are separated from the Lord. We are separated from what is good. So what does that mean? How can we get united with the Lord again? Well, if you're trying to figure out how you can become clean, it's not possible, right? You can't do it. You can't figure it out. You can't work hard enough. You can't strive enough. You can't try your best to do as many good things as possible because you're still dirty. You're going to have to become clean. Now, what does it take to clean a dirty object? Well, it takes a perfectly clean object, right? In order to make something perfectly clean, you have to use something perfectly clean. And so what happens? God himself comes to earth, takes on the body of a man, and lives a life that is perfect because he's God. He can only live a perfect life. He, he lives a perfect life. Though he was tempted, just like all of us, he lived a perfect life. And so he is then perfect. Now what Romans 3.23 tells me is that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of God's glory because we have sinned. What does sin mean? It means doing something that is against God. God is perfect. We've done something to disobey Him. It was actually an old archery term meaning to miss the mark. God's the mark of perfection. He's the mark that we're trying to hit. Now our arrow has missed it. It's not hit exactly where God is. We've missed the mark. And so if we've missed the mark, then we don't get the points, right? We don't get the credit for it. So when we have done something that God disapproves of, when we have put ourselves before the Lord at any moment in our life, done one little thing, no matter how many things or how little, we're separated. Because no matter how dirty you are, you're still dirty. So you can't be united with something that is perfectly clean. So for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So so what? Right? We're separated from God, so what does that mean? 
Well, if you go on Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So what we have to pay for our sin is death. Sin, doing something against the Lord, requires death as a payment. Now, why is that? Well, God is the giver of life. That's what He gives. He gives life. He created life. Everything that springs forth from Him is life. And so when we do something that's against Him, God can no longer give that life. It it would be against His justice and who He is. And then since God brings life and He is the giver of life, and sin is the opposite of God, then sin brings death. So the wages of sin is death. God has to allow that process to play out, right? That's what happens when you go against the Lord. You get the opposite effects. Well, what else does Scripture say? Romans 5, 8 says, But God commanded His love toward us in this. This is how He showed His love. He said, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God himself steps down from the throne, lives out that perfect life. He is the pure rag. We are dirty. We are disgusting. We are gross. We've done so many bad things. But even if you just did one, you're still dirty and you can't be united with the Lord. But what God does is he comes down to earth and becomes that clean substance that will take on the filth. It will take on the filth that we have created. So say we are the dirty window in this case. Jesus becomes that pure rag that goes up there and starts to wipe off the window. He absorbs all of that filth and grossness. He becomes dirty. Jesus became sin is what scripture tells us. He became it. He took on our sin. And he didn't only just take on a couple. He took on all of it. Now, why in the world would he do that? It's so that we could be reunited with him because it takes something perfect and pure to clean something that's dirty. But instead of God just destroying everything, saying, well, they're dirty now. They're separate from me. Let's move on. Let's wipe them out and move on. He's so gracious and loving that he finds a loophole in his own scheme. And he says, you know what? You know what I could do? Instead of just wiping them out, I created them and they ran from me. Instead of just wiping them out, though, because I do love them and I love my creation, I care about them. Instead of doing that, I will take their punishment for them. I will go down there and live a perfect life. And die the death that they deserve. See, Jesus didn't deserve death. Because as we just read in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned. He never did anything that was against God. He lived a perfect life. And so Jesus didn't deserve death. He didn't have to pay the wages. Because he was God, right? He was perfect. He never sinned. But instead, he decided, he chose, willingly sacrificed himself to take the death that we deserve. He lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve. Also, that our, the, the punishment that we deserve, the death that we all deserve, and I'm not just talking about a one-time death, I'm talking about an eternal death, an eternal separation from the Lord. Jesus took that upon himself. His perfection took that upon himself, and he died for something 
that he didn't even do. But the crazy thing about this is that Jesus couldn't stay that way. Even though Jesus took on our sin, he couldn't stay dead. It's not possible because he is God. He is perfection. He can't be apart from God, from heaven. Heaven is eternal blessing and goodness. It is is where the Lord is. And God is good, and so good abides all around him. And so hell is not a place that God sends you because he hates you. Hell is a place that God sends you because that's where you've chosen to go. He, it's, it's a place where he says, okay, you have chosen to not be with me. And so God's a gentleman. So God's not going to force himself to be, force you to be in a relationship with him. He's not going to do that. If you were to ask any person who's in a relationship, maybe some of you are, and if I were to ask you, hey, when you were asking your girlfriend or boyfriend out or whatever, and you said, hey, I want you to you know, be my girlfriend, and they said, no, I'm good right now, and you said, no, you're going to be my girlfriend, and they're like, no, I'm all right, and you say, no, you are my girlfriend, because I'm, I'm forcing you to. I'm choosing you and making you be my girlfriend. Well, that wouldn't be very loving, right? And 1 John 4, 8 and 16 tells us that God is love. And so if God is love, then he has to be loving. He can't not be loving because he is God. And so it wouldn't be very loving to force you to be in a relationship with him. And so he gives you that option. He comes down and dies, lives that perfect life and dies knowing that many, as as scripture says, many will find the broad path that leads to destruction. And only few will find the narrow path that leads to eternal life. Now, what is the narrow path? The narrow path is living a life for Christ, living a life for the Lord. And so in Romans 10, it tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And then it goes on to say, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So Jesus does all this and our dirty sins that give us no way to the Lord because we are now filthy. We can never become clean on our own. Yet the purity of God, because of his grace and his love for us, the purity of God comes to us to clean us. A, a random cleaning supply comes down here to clean us all up. However, in order to fully receive that, we have to be willing to receive that. He's not going to force us clean. He gives us that option. And if we decide, no, I'm good in my dirtiness, it's kind of fun being dirty. It's kind of fun being filthy rags. I'd rather do what I want to do. But those few that find the narrow gate, those are the people who have believed in their heart. Now, the Greek word used here in Romans 10.9 for belief is the word pisteos. Now, what that means, it means an active belief. It means a commitment, a relational commitment. So if, if... I commit my life to my wife, then what I'm telling her is that I'm committed to you. I'm going to live with you, for you, grow this relationship, serve you, love you, communicate with you, learn from you, all these things, right? That's what an active relationship looks like. And so that's kind of what this pisteos means. It means it's an active belief, not just a believing with your mind. It's not, yeah, I believe that my wife and I are married. Well, when's the last time you talked to her? Uh, I haven't. When's the last time that you 
did anything for her. I haven't. When was the last time that you listened to her? I haven't. That's not active belief. That's not a commitment. That's not a marriage, right? You wouldn't do that in a marriage. Or if you did, you wouldn't be married very long. You know what I'm saying? Like, Pisteos is an act of belief. So you believe in your heart. It's not just knowing that he's there. It's a committed relational belief. It's a committed active belief. And so that's what we have to do. We believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead. Now, yes, saying it is great. Saying I love you to my wife is great. But I would be lying if I said it and didn't act it out. Right, So this confess with your mouth doesn't just mean say the words. It means live it out. Show it. Say it with your actions and your words. Live it out. Prove it. Right, Confess it to the world. Tell the world. Live it out to the world. Serve people. They asked Jesus, what is the most important commands? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor or the people around you as yourself. So to love God and love people, that's the most important command. And so scripture also tells us, Jesus says, how, how do I know that you love me? It's if you obey my commands. It's similar to a toddler, right? If I tell a toddler, hey, will you go and grab me that book, please? And they're like, no. I'll say, please, I need the book. They say, nope. And they just run off. I would be offended, not because I didn't get the book, but it's because I'm showing love to this child over and over again, and they're not showing that love back. I feel disrespected. I feel unloved because they're not doing what I'm asking them. And so that's what Jesus is saying. You prove that you love me by doing what I ask of you. Same thing with a spouse or anything. So these are all common things that we know, that we've seen over and over again in life. Yet we we kind of lose track of it when it comes to God and we think that he's being an evil dictator. It's not the case. He's shown so much grace for us by coming to us and giving us this opportunity. The least we can do is just say, yes, Lord, I'll live for you. And so that's, that's what finding that narrow path looks like. Committed belief in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that we're in a relationship and we're gonna I'm gonna work on this and we're gonna grow this together. And then confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. Live it, show it, speak it to people, be proud of it. You, you don't I mean you wear that wedding band, right? It, that it's proving it, it's showing, it's a symbol saying this is what's happened. And then living it out and, and obeying his commands and, and what he's asked of you. Because that's just being a good married partner. <laughs> and so all this is is to say, have you got what you deserve? Is life fair? Well, life wouldn't be fair if you got to go to heaven. Right? Life wouldn't be fair for you to breathe right now. Why? Because you have sinned. And as aforementioned, God gives life. And when we go against God, it reverses that life. God can't give life to something that is running from him. So death has to come upon us. And I'm not just talking about, again, the physical death. I'm talking about eternal death. So the fact that you have the option to have an eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ is an incredible grace. 
What is grace? It's something that you didn't earn and you don't deserve. You couldn't merit it on your own. It's just freely given to you. That is grace, and that's what God has done for you. He's given you his love without you ever deserving it. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. You were running from the Lord, yet he still chased after you and sacrificed for you to be able to rejoin and reunite with him. That is love. You you don't get what you deserve. God has been so gracious to you. The fact that you're breathing right now, the fact that you have a job, or if you don't, the fact that you have people around you who love you. Somebody in this world, an animal that loves you, a uh, you know, you have these coherent thoughts. The fact that you're hearing this podcast right now is God talking to you. He's writing this love letter to you. How are you going to receive that? Are you just going to throw it in the trash? Or are you going to respond? Are you going to be mad the next time God, you think God is being unfair to you because you don't have financial freedom yet? Which is really probably because of an accumulation of, of your decisions that is the reason that you don't have financial freedom. Or maybe you don't have a spouse yet. Sometimes that just doesn't happen. Are, are you not okay with God's grace being enough? When Paul was talking about he had this thorn in his side that he prayed about three times that God would remove from him. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. The fact that I've done all this for you should be plenty. should be more than enough. But we're still complaining about these nitty gritties in this life that he's granted us. And we're wanting these particular things. And then we get mad when we don't get those particular things. And God's like, are you kidding me? Look at what I'm giving you. The fact that you're breathing right now, that is me sustaining your life. That's me sustaining each and every individual cell in your body. In your brain, if you break down the body and look at what it looks like and what's going on there at the molecular and cellular level, it's unreal. It doesn't even make sense how all this is happening. But God is doing that just for you. And then all the plants, all the animals that are giving you oxygen and food and nutrition and water, like He's blessed you with so many things. Yet because you didn't get your dream job, you're mad at him saying that he's unfair. You're dang right he's unfair. What happened to Jesus was completely unfair. And so you better be thankful that he's unfair. Because of his unfairness, you get the opportunity to have an eternity with him. I get the opportunity to have an eternity with him and in a relationship with him. Thank God he's unfair, and thank God he's just. He is just. He is a just God who cannot go against what is good and what is right. And so God can't override us and our decisions. He can overpower us. He can't override us, though. Why? Because he's given us free will. And as I said, love requires an option. If I love this girl, if I love my wife, I have to give her the option to be in a relationship with me. I can't force her into that relationship. That's not love. So he gives us the option. So if I were to force her in a relationship with me, that would be being unjust. It's, it's, it's doing something that is not right. In the same form, if, if 
God has given us that opportunity to be in a relationship with Him, and we have believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth and actively believing, like I mentioned, and confessing it with our actions and our love and our life, then it would be unjust for God to not allow us a relationship with Him. Why? Because He's already told us that that's the stipulation. If we do those two things, that He'll be united with us. So it would be unjust for Him to lie to us about that. And so that's what I'm trying to say. God is just. Justice will be done. And so the people who have denied the Lord will be denied in heaven. The people who have trusted on the Lord and been in a relationship with Him will be in a relationship with Him in heaven. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing, amazing thing that we have an all-powerful, almighty God who creates everything and gives everything and sustains everything, but who's also faithful and good and true to His Word and just. Count your blessings. Take this and run with it. Shout it on the rooftop. Get excited about it. Man, I hope this is something that amps you guys up as much as it amps me up. I love the heck out of you guys, and I love the heck out of this message, and I want you guys and this message to go hand in hand and just storm the streets. And so I'm going to take this moment to challenge you all, to challenge each and every one of you who's listening to this to go onto your social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever you want to use, and tell the world, tell all the people who follow you, all the people who see that you are thankful. Say, I'm so thankful, praise the Lord, that God is unfair. And that'll pe- that'll perk some ears up. But then maybe write a little short testimony or just a couple lines saying, God is unfair, but He is so loving. God is unfair, and He allows me to have a relationship with Him when I don't deserve it. Thank you, God, for being unfair. And I would ask you, to use the hashtag pedestal so I can see what's going on and so that I can keep up with you guys and this community can truly become a community because that's really what I hope this becomes. It's not just something that um, is a podcast that you listen to, but it's a community that you can join and intermingle with and grow to know and love more and more. Um, But it's not about me. It's not about my name. I don't even think you probably know my name. I don't think I've even said it on this podcast. Because I don't want to get my name big. And it's not about the brand because, you know, I don't really care about the brand as much. I just care about the mission of it. And I want this mission to go through, this mission of lowering ourselves and using our life as an elevation for Christ, as a pedestal to elevate Christ up high. And so if you don't want to hashtag us, don't do it. I just want to challenge you to go out and be bold and be excited about this. Um, But if you want to hashtag it, that would be awesome because I'd love to celebrate with you guys. So... Man, thank you guys so much for listening. I love the heck out of you guys, like I've said a million times. Continue to tune in each and every week. God is doing some awesome things here in and through this podcast, in and through my life, changing me, molding me in a million different ways. And I'm just so thankful to be alive and be a part of this and for God to have called me to do this and to come to know you guys a little bit better and keep commenting. I love when y'all comment on on the post that I share on Facebook or wherever. Just comment underneath it so I can hear your thoughts, get some feedback and get some ideas for new for new uh, for new episodes, for new entries. So love you guys so much 
Thanks for tuning in. Much love. God bless.